Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your source for all the news in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. My name, as I said, is John, and I'm the host of this podcast, and um, yeah, most of you have been listening for a long time now, so I don't know why I felt the need to say that, but I did, so I did. And uh, I also probably don't need to explain this, but just in case you're new here, uh, this is our weekly Zoo News episode where we're going to be reporting on news stuff, so no interviews, no nothing, just talking about the news as it pertains to zoos and aquariums and all that good stuff, and uh, it is a crowdsourced news program, meaning that people do send in various articles to me. If you want to contribute, you can tag me in something at Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or at Ross Safari Pod on TikTok. You can DM me at any of those same places, or you can send it to me uh, through email, rossafaripod at gmail.com. So those of you who listen know that I am just a huge Marvel fan, uh, including all of the the crazy movies and TV shows they're doing right now. And so I am really excited for the end of this week because um, by the time this week has ended, the last episode of Moon Knight will have aired. And uh, the day this episode releases is also the release date for Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. And uh, I cannot wait to see this movie. Uh, I've been trying to avoid spoilers online, uh, and and I've done a pretty good job, but from what I've seen, it looks like it's going to be amazing, and I've read some reviews, and I'm really excited about it. And um, yeah, you know what? I know. I know we're here to talk about animals and not comics, but um, I'm a nerd, and one kind of nerd often begets another kind of nerdery. So uh, there you go. You got my little spiel on the Marvel stuff, and in case you're a little bit behind on all of that... You can go and catch up and then enjoy these new cool things and then message me about that and nerd out with me about it because I love talking about that crap almost as much as I do animals and honestly, frankly, a little bit more than I do music for some weird reason, even though that's like, you know, my job and stuff. So yeah, um, okay, so this isn't really official, you know, news type news, but I am so excited that I need to share this with y'all. So along with my conservation education work through this podcast, many of you know that I am a volunteer for Red Panda Network, uh, which is a conservation organization that is near and dear to my heart. I actually serve in two capacities with Red Panda Network. First of all, I'm on the the writing and communications team and and from time to time on on Insta and Facebook and stuff, post articles there. But I'm also a member of the Zoo Relations and Outreach team. Now, up until now, that team has consisted of me 
And Danica, who you may remember from the Remembering Iggy episode, uh, she used to work at Zoo Atlanta, and now she's partnered with me on all of this cool zoo stuff with Red Panda Network. Well, I'm uh, super excited to announce that our team has a new volunteer. Her name is Carolyn, and uh, you all probably know her as the Instagram star Carson the Red Panda. She runs that social media page and uses it to try to do as much good in the world as she can. And I am so stupidly excited that she is going to be joining our team with Red Panda Network. Um, Carolyn is an amazing human. She has become a very near and dear friend uh, to me. And, you know, the coolest thing about Carolyn to me is that as positive as she is and as cool as she is, she's also really willing to take a stand. We've had some debates. We we get along really well and we have the same basic goals, but we don't always see eye to eye 100 percent, which is something that I love because we're able to actually discuss and and have good conversations about those things and keep lifting each other up. And I think that's wildly important and um, especially in this day and age is kind of really rare. So uh, I just I love Carolyn so much and um, I am I am so excited that she is joining this team with, with Danica and I. I have to tell you, this may be the 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 coolest team ever. That's that's three good people, y'all, if, if you don't mind me saying so about myself. So, uh, Carolyn, welcome. And uh, for all y'all that enjoy going to zoos and seeing red pandas and like experiencing International Red Panda Day events at those zoos and everything. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be me and Danica and Carolyn. So uh, y'all is going to be off the chain. That's that's a thing that that people say, right? Like the kids say off the chain. Anyway, it's going to be really cool. So welcome, Carolyn. Excited to have you. And uh, this just makes me really happy. Okay, here's a commercial. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, y'all. Is it time to do the thing? I think it's time to do the thing. Let's do the thing. All right. You know, sometimes I feel like maybe I should make a ballad or some sad song parodies just because it's kind of hard to transition from that into a rough story. But uh, I feel like, you know, this is the one that we need to start with, because I'm sure if you follow basically anything in the zoo world, you, you've heard about this. But just in case you haven't, uh, in the early morning of May 2nd, the birdhouse staff of the Smithsonian's National Zoo arrived to discover that a wild fox 
had gotten into the flamingo yard. That single fox was able to murder 25 American flamingos and one northern pintail duck. And look, I use the word murder, um, but the fox was just being a wild fox, you know? I I don't blame the fox. I don't think the fox should be put down or anything like that if they caught it. Uh, In in this case, uh, the, the fox was actually able to escape the yard. The flock originally had 74 flamingos in it, so this fox took out over a third of the flock and injured a couple of others, which is kind of crazy. Now, the zoo does plan on fortifying their habitats, but wanted to be clear in saying that the barrier that they use not only passed AZA inspection, but is used by other accredited zoos across the country. As part of their safety procedures, they do exhibit integrity inspections uh, multiple times a day by staff. The last inspection of this yard uh, happened at 2.30 p.m. the day before this happened. Um, No areas of concern were observed at the flamingo habitat, and an inspection conducted the morning of May 2nd revealed a new softball-sized hole in the heavy-duty metal mesh that surrounds the outdoor yard. Uh, No breach to the dig barrier in the exhibit, and uh, because of that, uh, they were trying to figure out exactly how the fox was able to pull this off. In the short term, the zoo has taken the following steps. The metal mesh surrounding the flamingo yard has been reinforced. The zoo has also set out live traps around the outdoor yard to catch any predators and remove them safely from the area, and digital camera traps with an infrared sensor triggered by movement have been set up to photograph overnight activity. The flamingo flock has been moved indoors as well. The zoo will look into exactly what, if any, changes they need to make going forward beyond these immediate steps. Uh, but, you know, sometimes these things happen, and it's it's a real bummer. But, uh, you know, everyone was doing the best they could. So uh, sending all of my love and condolences to the staff at the Smithsonian's National Zoo. Now, to move on to a happier topic, one that makes me real happy— This week, the Bronx Zoo announced the birth of a Matchy's tree kangaroo, Joey. I'm so excited. Um, And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because tree kangaroos are marsupials. And so when the babies are born in, in the traditional sense, they're about the size of like a pinky nail. Um, assuming you don't bite your nails like I do. Uh, but yeah, and then it crawls up into the pouch and starts nursing in the pouch. And that's where it grows into looking like a small tree kangaroo as we know them, as opposed to kind of like, I don't know, a gross naked rat or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, and so now it's to the point where the baby tree kangaroo is old enough that it is just poking its nose and a little bit of its face out of the mother's pouch. This is the first time that a tree kangaroo has been born at the Bronx Zoo. And I have to tell you all, the North American Matchy's Tree Kangaroo Program is not huge. There aren't a ton of uh, individuals in the SSP. So this is a really big deal, especially because this is the first time they've had a successful birth at the Bronx Zoo of a tree kangaroo since 2008. So huge, big deal, not just because I love this species, but also, oh my gosh, y'all, I am losing my mind and cannot wait to get to Jungle World at the Bronx Zoo and just spend all day there until I see a little snow 
snoot popping out. This is is so amazing and so exciting. So congrats to everyone at the Bronx Zoo and everyone who is obsessed with tree kangaroos like me. Yay! Oh, and while we're on the subject of tree kangaroos, um, the AZA has a program called SAFE, which is uh, Saving Animals from Extinction. And these are basically programs that work out in, in the wild, in situ conservation, in order to help a population thrive. Well, as of April 1st, the Tree Kangaroo of Papua New Guinea SAFE program started. Uh, this is a brand new program, and I'm really excited about it. And I know some of the people involved, and it, it's going to do some amazing, amazing work out in Papua New Guinea to save the tree kangaroos that are out there. So, uh, so much good tree kangaroo news this week. Yay! So I recently mentioned on this podcast that Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo has been given a couple million bucks from the state of Connecticut for improving some of their exhibits, including their tiger exhibit. I also mentioned that the uh, deputy director of the zoo, Don Goff, passed away recently, leaving behind a legacy of conservation, especially with his favorite species, which were tigers. Well, recently, Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo has announced that their new tiger exhibit is going to be known as the Don Goff Tiger Pavilion. That is going to be part of the new Amher Tiger Habitat, which will begin construction this fall. The idea is to honor Don's lifelong work with tiger conservation and stand as a testament to the power of choosing a life that makes a difference to wildlife, the planet, and the people around him. I think this is such a beautiful gesture that I really just wanted to share with y'all. I cannot wait to go and watch some tigers at the Don Goff Tiger Pavilion. So if you know me from this podcast or not at all, you know that I love octopuses so much. They are so stinking cool. And, and I've got to spend some time with, with an octopus friend and it is everything that it is hyped up to be. Well, I thought this was kind of interesting. So um, giant Pacific octopuses uh, tend to mate and then reproduce and then die. And, um, you know, they only live a couple of years at most in captivity. And so the Oregon Coast Aquarium has been doing a thing where when their giant Pacific octopus starts showing signs of reproductive readiness... They release them in the kelp forests offshore of Cape Foulweather with the hope that the octopus will reproduce before passing away. This means that if you've been to the Oregon Coast Aquarium in the last couple of years, then you saw Impasta, the giant Pacific octopus, and uh, he has now started showing signs of reproductive readiness. So... He was secured in a dive bag to ensure safe transport and uh, decided to go check out the reef when he got there. And uh, he, he did some checking it out and they left him alone. So he is now living out in the, uh, the kelp forests there. And uh, no one really knows what will happen. But the hope is that he will find a mate and reproduce before passing away thus spreading his genes back out into the wild, which is really, really cool. I think this is a, this is a kind of unique uh, 
breeding program, I, I guess. I mean, technically, but it's it's interesting to, you know, we generally think of animals as not being able to be re-released or just released once they uh, are in captivity. But the Oregon Coast Aquarium uh, decided that their giant Pacific octopuses are ready and um, are doing this program. One that I think is filled with a lot of hope. I, I dig it. The North Carolina Zoo recently announced the permanent closure of its aviary habitat. The aviary was built in the early 1980s, and in that time, over 75 different species of birds have lived there, including 33 species and 93 individuals that uh, currently live in the aviary. They are being moved to other parts of the zoo in some cases, or rehomed to other AZA facilities. Along with the birds, more than 2,000 plants, over 450 species, also lived in the aviary, and the zoo is working on logistics for moving those to other places as well. The aviary is being closed because it required significant repairs due to the effects of high humidity and wet conditions, and after looking at everything that needed to be done, they decided it would be too expensive and not really worth it, so they had to shutter the aviary, which is a bummer, but there is good news. Absolutely none of the staff of the aviary is being let go. They're all being reassigned. So, you know, that's cool at least. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the end of an era for a pretty iconic aviary at the North Carolina Zoo. But, uh, you know, I also love to see what new exhibits pop up a couple years down the road from when these things happen. This uh, next story is kind of interesting. Um, a tamandua, also known as lesser anteater, uh, recently was discovered at a zoo in Tennessee. The CDC declined to say which one, but based on the location, I'm going with our friends at Bright's Zoo, but I could be wrong. And also, it's not their fault that this happened. Uh, but yeah, the tamandua was diagnosed with rabies. This is the first time that rabies has been reported in this species, which is what makes it so really interesting and, and unique. What's even more interesting, and the reason why I said it's really not Bright's Zoo's fault, if it was them, whichever zoo it was, anyway, um... The zoo had recently been transferred from a zoo in Virginia, also not named, and it was infected with a type of rabies that is not normally seen in Tennessee, but is very common in Virginia. So it sounds like there's a good chance that the animal actually had rabies when it was transferred from the Virginia Zoo. Uh, interestingly, it did not show any signs of issues when it first arrived, but after being at the zoo for a while, the anteater started showing signs of illness, including lethargy, loss of appetite, diarrhea. And the uh, veterinarians at first presumed it was a bacterial infection and prescribed antibiotics. But when things got worse, they took it to a college to examine the animal. And um, even the college staff, the vet staff there, did not assume that it was rabies because, again, there is no reason to believe that tamanduas have rabies ever, that they can get rabies, and also because there were no bites shown anywhere. Unfortunately, no one was able to figure out what was going on, and eventually the animal deteriorated so badly that they needed to euthanize it, and at that point, they did a necropsy and found out that the uh, tamandua had rabies. So this is really interesting, and um, while tamanduas don't have teeth, so there was no risk of them biting people and giving them rabies, uh, there were definitely some people who were exposed to the saliva or brain tissue, um, which could spread the virus. So it's important that we know 
what animals have rabies and can get rabies. So this is really interesting, um, both because there are a lot of tamanduas in captivity. Y'all know my friend Colleen, a great, great podcast guest and occasional co-host, um, takes care of, of Salvador and Isla, and uh, they're amazing. There are some really cool ambassador uh, tamanduas, including Isa at the Columbus Zoo. I've seen the ones at Bright's Zoo uh, when I was there a year and a half ago, and the Nashville Zoo is just loaded with them. It's it's pretty amazing. I've actually, I have met a tamandua, and they're, they're fun. You get to feed them. I've met a couple, actually. Uh, but the first one, I got to feed some uh, some avocado, too. And I'm kind of just rambling because I really like tamanduas. But the point here is that um, you, you never know what's what's going on, and, and we're still learning so much about these animals, even ones that live in captivity and such. So apparently, tamanduas can get rabies. Who knew? And then last but not least for Zoo News this week, uh, I found this story just really entertaining. Uh, Two flamingos escaped from a zoo in Kansas 17 years ago. Okay, so why why am I bringing this up now? Am I just really struggling to find enough uh, content for this episode? No, 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 no. Uh, But the interesting thing is that uh, one of the two flamingos that escaped from this zoo 17 years ago has been spotted on the coast of Texas. The flamingo is known as number 492 because of the number on its leg band, uh, was videoed recently by environmental activists near... um, Port Lavaca, Texas. Uh, Officials were able to make out the bird's leg band on the video. This is actually not the first time that good old 492 has been seen. Uh, In various years, it's actually been seen in Wisconsin, Louisiana, and other parts of Texas. But um, zoo officials never made any plans to try to recapture it because they said there's no easy way to do so without disturbing the other flamingos and causing all kinds of trouble. So yeah, this this bird just kind of made it out and is actually doing okay. And every once in a while, checks in, which I think is kind of cool. And that brings us to Stereotypical Animal Podcast Theme Song Here to bring you to Conservation News So y'all know that I love the story of the California condor and how the San Diego Zoo and other wildlife authorities worked to bring that population back from the brink of extinction. Well, there's some additional good news about the California condor population. On Tuesday, May 3rd, the Yorok Tribe and Redwood National and State Parks worked together to facilitate the release of the first two California condors released into the center of the bird's former range since 1892. That's really exciting, y'all. See, while we always talk about how California condors are out in the wild again and thriving and yay, good work done by the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance and all that stuff, and that is all very true, they're still not back in all of the areas where they used to live. And these two condors being released where they are is a step in making that dream a reality. Assuming it goes well, two additional condors will be released into the same area in the near future, but it's very important that they stagger the releases because that's what they found works best for the condors. Biologists and technicians from the Yurok Tribe and the Redwood National Park will team up with the Northern California Condor Restoration Program to collaboratively manage the flock from a newly constructed condor release and management facility in Northern California. 
The four birds in question came two from the Peregrine Fund's World Center for Birds of Prey in Idaho and two from the Oregon Zoo. I love hearing about all these facilities and groups working together to save species. For our friends in Florida, along the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic Coast, and even coming up into Georgia and and some of the other southern states, uh, official reminder that it's now May, which means that it is the beginning of sea turtle nesting season. So uh, make sure that you keep your beach turtle friendly, turn off lights or use proper approved lighting and help save those turtles. And uh, if, if you want a reminder of, of some of the, the stuff that you can do or just why it's important, go check out the Don't Ride Sea Turtles episode of the Rossafari podcast from Moat Marine Lab. It's a good one, y'all. And speaking of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis announced that $30 million will be included in the state's budget this year to help protect the state's manatees and their habitats. The plan is to use the money to expand the network of acute care facilities that treat injured manatees and to also support restoration efforts to manatee access to Florida's warm spring waters. Some of the money may even be used to continue the pilot program involving feeding manatees that we spoke about on a recent episode of Zoo News. So this is really, really great news for Florida's manatees who need all the help they can get right now. So when we think of cheetahs, what do we think of? We think of fast, we think of spots, and we think of Africa. But did you know that there is actually a subspecies of cheetah known as the Asiatic cheetah, which is smaller but with a thicker coat, a more powerful neck, and even thinner legs than the African cheetah? Uh, Many people actually believe that Asiatic cheetahs could be faster than African cheetahs, but no speed tests have ever been done on Asiatic cheetahs, which are a very wildly endangered species or, well, subspecies. Well, recently, the Tehran Wildlife Refuge in Tehran, Iran, announced the first ever birth of an Asiatic cheetah in captivity. In fact, the mother, named Iran, gave birth to three healthy cubs, which is really exciting. The cubs were delivered by C-section, and all seem healthy, but uh, currently the mother has not accepted them, so they are being hand-reared, though the Wildlife Refuge is working with cheetah experts all around the world to try to find a way to get the mother to accept the cubs. For some perspective on how important this birth is, uh, it is estimated that there may be as few as 12 Asiatic cheetahs left in the world, and definitely no more than 100. So this is a really big deal and a huge win for conservation. And finally, for conservation news this week, the U.S. House of Representatives has passed an extension to the Save Vanishing Species Stamp. Uh, This is a, you know, stamp, a USA first class stamp. Uh, There are a couple of different species on it, including a really cute tiger on one of them right now um, that gets funding for wildlife conservation every time you purchase one of these books of stamps. So if you want to send mail, because I'm told people still do that, um, 
There's a thing called the internet, friends. But hey, whatever. You do you. I actually love getting mail. I don't know why I'm being all snarky. I send Miles postcards from as many places that I can as I'm touring, and he keeps them, and it's adorable, and I love it. And uh, I, I want to start using these stamps now to to send those postcards because uh, it's awesome and it funds wildlife conservation, which is something that, um, you know, is pretty good, I guess. So, yeah. All right. Let's head to... Have I ever told y'all that the jingly sound at the beginning of that song is not a tambourine, although it sounds like one, but it's actually um, a dog's collar? Uh, there was a, a dog named Luca who I was hanging out with when I recorded that, and uh, that's that's Luca's collar. And it makes me happy because Luca is an awesome dog. And if I've told you that before, well, meh, now you know again. So there we go. I only actually have one uh, story for other news this week, which might be why I started off talking about a dog's collar. Um, but it's a really entertaining one to me. The most recent updates to your various phones and smart devices should have some new emoji for y'all. And one of those emoji is a coral emoji, which is really cool because who doesn't talk about coral so much that they need an emoji to... Uh, to represent that. And uh, we still don't have a red panda emoji. I'm not bitter at all. But hey, hey, seriously though, Coral is awesome. We love Coral at this podcast because, amongst other reasons, a Coral is an animal. And I can only speak for Apple because that's what I have. I have an iPhone. But on that iPhone, that Coral is living with the plants. Apparently, nobody told the people at Apple that coral are animals. So those people at Apple should probably listen to my podcast. It's it's hosted on your podcast service, y'all, amongst other places, and, um, you know, realize that coral are animals. So I just thought that was kind of funny. But hey, if you want to text somebody a graphic representation of coral, you can now do so. And uh, yeah, that's your other news this week. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. So we start off with a reminder that May is National Duckling Month and also National Lake Cleanup Month. So that's cool. And then let's see here. Today is Friday the 6th, which is Nurses Day, which has nothing to do with animals other than the fact that nurses are humans and humans are animals. But y'all, after spending some time in the hospital recently, I want to celebrate Nurses Day because nurses are awesome. Uh, Saturday the 7th is Salamander Saturday. Uh, Sunday the 8th is Mother's Day, and if you haven't tuned in to the episode from Tuesday of this week, you really should. It's it's about being a mother and pregnant and all that good stuff uh, as a zookeeper, and it features our good friend Danny Poirier-Larsen, so check that out. Tuesday the 10th is National Shrimp Day, and that's it for the week, though I'm going to cheat and tell you that on Saturday the 14th, and yes, you'll hear about this again next week, but Saturday the 14th is World Binturong Day, and I love Binturong so much that I'm going to give them an extra shout out right now. And those are your animal holidays for the week, and one from next week. (laughs) 
So there you have it, folks. Another week of Zoo News. Yay! I want to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patron. And also, I would like to shout out all of the contributors to the episode this week, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Dr. Ann Money, Michael Sebastian, and Peter Oilo. Thank you all for your contributions. Also, make sure you're back here on Tuesday because, as you know, it is a brand new month and that means we need to go back to Adventure Aquarium to find out what animal we're celebrating this month. It's going to be an awesome episode, y'all, and I can't wait to share it with you. And hey, until then, remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are... (coughs) Oh, no, wait, that was Danny being gross at the beginning of our episode on Tuesday. It's actually Steiderk, you swen, y'all. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.